we're live. Welcome, folks, to a new brand spanking episode of Let's Talk Common Sense with me, Mike Omni. It's 2021, a new year's upon us. Now, this is already different because we're working remotely and the podcast now, we're going to be doing it remotely. Now, this gives us access to some great guests, which you're, you're in for with this season. Um, but as you know, just after Christmas, uh, large parts of England are all moving into Tier 4 including Manchester, where we're currently based. I'm in my house. Um, but you know what? I'm kind of looking forward to having interesting discussions with people from my house. So we've reached out to a number of really interesting people. And over the next few weeks or so, we're going to be having some great conversations. Now, there's so much to discuss. Of course, we know that today, the 1st of January, which is when we're recording this podcast, um, we enter a new era with the EU. After three years, five, if you count, referendum of debating of back and forths we finally left the european union although some would say did we really live leave because northern ireland still has different uh conditions and of course we're still in this little uh brief period where we're negotiating uh what's going to happen with fishing and stuff like that but, but i don't want to get too into that so fast this is a special episode i'm in my hoodie i'm at home and i'm joined by a great guest and we're, we're going to just talk about some of the exciting things we can look forward to in 2021. This is a big year. Lots is happening. Um, so I don't want to do this alone. So let's welcome. Oh, oh, by the way, I forgot all the kind of important stuff. Of course, also subscribe if you haven't subscribed. This podcast is brought to you by the Common Sense Network, where we create spaces for people who disagree to come together and learn from each other. But with that done, I welcome my guest for this wonderful episode. Um, it's none other than Afshan De Souza Lodhi. Close enough. Was, that, was that will do. <laughs> did I not get it right? You you almost got it right. It's okay. It's it's fine. No, it's not fine because it happens all the time where people just get my name wrong. Um, so for me and also for the people listening, what how do we actually pronounce your name? So the N is actually silent in my name. So it's actually Afsha uh, is how you pronounce it. Yeah. It's a, a with a like an U sound underneath it. Um, Afsha de Souza Lodi. Afsha de Souza Lodi. Yeah, the, it's a Lodi rather than Lodi. Low, low. Okay. Afsha de Souza Lodi. Lodi, yeah. Afsha de Souza Lodi. Afsha. Afsha de Souza Lodi. Yeah, great. Do you know what's really interesting? I've been on a, a few clubhouse um, rooms and they get my name right the first time. And it's just like, it's it's beautiful. It's absolutely really, they get a silent N the first time. They will get well because I put AF dash SHA in my bio. Um, oh, and they so you, read okay. it and they're gonna go, oh, uh, sure, great. Yeah. Well, I, to be fair, if, if you have a silent part of your name and I just met you, how am I gonna know unless you kind of tell me? Sorry, do you not Google and research everyone before you meet them? No. I don't Google names that, that frequently have a silent part, oh, okay. but I'm glad to be corrected. And I think, I think you've helped people. Well, just, should we start with an introduction, Af um, Afsha? Because you've been on here before. You mm -hmm. remember the Common Sense Network. So, we, so, so some people will be familiar with you. But for folks who are listening for the first time, what do you do? Who is Afsha? I mean, so you have I, books behind you. I have. Just it's, it's, the, it's, the Zoom, it's the Zoom thing to do, right? You know, you have books behind you. People go, she must be really learned. Now, you are actually learned, aren't you? Tell, tell us a bit about you. Well, I've been, I've been doing a lot of um, panels, a lot of literary festivals, um, uh, UK-based and also international, and having the books in the background, this side, sorry, the mirroring is really weird on this, um, is really useful. So people can kind of go, 
you know, what books have you written this year? And I launched two books, guys, two of them this year during a pandemic. Um, and and all the restrictions, all the lockdowns, haven't done a single live gig with them, a sort of like face-to-face -face gig with them. Um, but yeah, I'm a poet and playwright, currently working on um, a couple of really interesting projects, um, some TV stuff, some theatre stuff coming out, um, and fingers crossed, a collection of short stories in the next uh, couple of years. Amazing. How did you launch a book in the middle of a <laughs> pandemic? How did that go? Did you... Because oh, I, I mean, I'm serious. Because obviously, you couldn't have events. We we had to cancel the event. You know, it's it's been really hell for like events and stuff like that, hasn't it? Mm. I um I struggle with Zoom. I get like quite a bit of Zoom fatigue. So I didn't um and I haven't watched a lot of literature or any events really online. So I didn't want to put anybody else through that. I felt a bit mean, kind of forcing my friends, uh, my family, people that you know that love me to to sit through and watch an hour or forty five minute long version of just me talking to them. Um, so I was like, all right, allow that. What else can I do? So I created a, a book launch in a box, um, which is like a box that you can unpack yourself um, uh, and, and sort of like, um, so it has in there like a drink and you've got like sweets, something to eat, something to smell. You've got incense. Um, you've got like some uh, poetry workshop bits in there. You've got the book and then you've got these amazing postcards that illustrators designed for me. Uh, and then the actual collection as well. Um, yeah. And the idea is that you can, do that book launch over a day, over an hour, over a month, over a week, however long you want. And I've just launched the winter edition of that, which is a, you know, a little dose of summer because we're all a bit cold and a bit bored of lockdown. Um, so if you are interested in getting a winter edition of uh, the Regarding Desire book event, then uh, just check out my website. Shameless plug. Superb. No, it's fine. I mean, I, I read the book or the, 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 the collection of poetry. I've looked at uh, I've looking I've looked at it, um, and yeah, it's brilliant. So I think folks def mm -hmm. definitely should take a look at it. Last year was hard, and obviously you didn't let that stop you. Um, it was hard for most people. I think when you said Zoom fatigue, you're speaking for a lot of people there who last year was just yeah. kind of hell for. Um, now we thought we'd made it out with the announcement of a vaccine, but with this new mutant strain there's about three different well apparently actually the the virus mutates all the time so there's been a, there's yeah. been 23 altogether but there's been two new strains that are uh that that pass about 70% more than before 70% more than before so everyone's panicking there's a new mutant strain apparently in Nigeria one's come from South Africa so it seems like covid is just kind of you know, it's 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 not going away, as it were. So right now we're in lockdown. That's why we're doing this odd uh, 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 kind of video thing where normally we'll be sat opposite each other. So I guess what well, I thought we would do, seeing as this is a special episode after all, mm -hmm. is just kick back, relax, and talk about some of the exciting things or some of the interesting things that's happening mm -hmm. this year. Now, let's just get Brexit out of the way because I know people are like, well, what about Brexit? This year, we will, I mean, today even, we've entered a new era of relationship with the EU. We are now officially out. How does it feel to be out of the European Union, Asha? Wow, that's such a loaded question, Mike. <laughs> well, you're, you're a Remainer, right? Yeah, yeah I'm a Remainer. But I, I feel like I've been waiting for this moment and, and you know, and didn't think that it would come since 2016 since we, since we voted so I'm, I'm like it's like four years five years later that we're we're hearing 
that we're actually leaving and we've left and that was it, we're done now. And we still have no idea what that means for anything. So, you know, we know that importing and exporting taxes have increased. We've got people that voted to leave the EU, uh, farmers particularly that are kind of going, oh no, we didn't realize that being out of the European Union means that we'd actually like leave the European Union and wouldn't have any access to any of like the importing or the, you know, the rights. Um, that come with that. So then our backtracking kind of going, oh, this Brexit thing's done is really bad. Um, most notably, there was a semi-viral video of a, an eel farmer who basically three times a week sends eels to, um, I think it's Germany. Um, and he was like, well, that's it now. That's my last shipment done because uh, in the new year, we won't be able to send them out because of the, the changes in laws and the the amount of um, shipping costs and importing and exporting um sort of charges and fees that you have to pay. So people in Europe, people in mainland Europe aren't going to be buying stuff from us um, because it's more expensive. So we've kind of done ourselves a little bit dirty by, A, we can't buy anything from outside of the UK and nobody wants to buy anything from us anyway. They're just like, the little petulant little child that gets told by the pirates to, you know, sit with the because not getting the and Well, it. we've agreed a trade deal which would uh, mm -hmm. allow for no tariffs yeah, well, we have. It's been ratified. I mean, I think it should get, I think it's got royal assent because it came into law 1am uh, last night. So, so you know, so so there, there aren't tariffs on hundreds of produce and products. So I, I don't know much about eel farming, so I can't speak much to that. But um, it, it's interesting, though, because a part of me th thinks what happens with Remainers like yourself. Like I, I had Femi... Femi, uh, Femi Sori on Twitter on this mm -hmm. podcast. I think he was the last episode we had just before Christmas. Yeah. And, you know, I asked him, I said, what's your prescription then for the UK? What's going to happen in 2021? And he was, I mean, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he said, what's this effect? Like, it's over. We're just going to jump up a cliff and slowly decline. And I thought, well, I'm not sure, like, that's how I see 2021 going. Are you saying live on this podcast that what's going to happen over 2021 is the UK is just going to slowly decline and more people won't be able to buy anything. And we're going to be the petulant child. I mean, that seems like a very negative way to think yeah. about our future. No, but I'm, I guess it is negative, but that's what's happened is you can't kind of, you can't spin a positive from something so bad. Like we're, we're losing, our passport has lost so much value because of Brexit, because of the... Well, well, what is my value? Like monetary value or what do you mean? No, I don't mean monetary value. I mean like the, the, the way that we, can, we can't travel as much freely within Europe. The fact that, you know, as soon as COVID hit, the first thing they did was, um, not even as soon as COVID hit, as soon as Brexit hit from the 1st of January, if you're living in no UK um, person can travel to um, European countries, mainland, you know, um, other countries in the EU. And that's because we've left the... The European Union, and there's issues where well, well, you, you, you can still travel. I'm not sure that I don't you, can't, totally you, can't, you can't work in the same way that you used to. I've got friends that live in Spain that you know do poetry in Spain and do poetry in the UK, and they're unable to to work there in the same way. They have to then apply for a green card or apply for a visa to to live and work in that country in a separate way to how they would have to do in the UK. Um, and I think it's yeah. it's things like that that then really, you know, personally they don't affect me um, because I'm not somebody who wants to live in Spain or Germany, for example, and work. But there are a lot of my friends that do that. It just means that if I take a, a show and tour it, the the touring process becomes a lot harder. So the visa costs for everyone, you know, the higher visa costs, for example, they add on. Um, the equipment transfer fees, they add on. And I think that once, and, and it's, it's not just that we will have to pay those fees, it's that then I have to do the admin. So if I want to do a Europe tour, I'd have to pay the admin for each and every country separately. There isn't like a, a you know, you know, it'd be so magical if we could just go, 
I'm going to go to the EU, you know, to Europe and just have one visa and then travel. But that's exactly what the EU was. And we were like, nah, mate, we're all right. So. Yeah, but I mean, we, we've, we've left the EU. I mean, you're, you're kind of, you're basically saying, because it sounds like what you're saying is like a really bad thing, but you're basically saying we, we're going to have to treat countries like the way we treat other countries, which for me is kind of, well, yeah, that's kind of how you treat countries. You're not in there's no benefit anymore to living in the UK and as it was in, in the way that they used to be. Like, you know, five there's years no benefit to living in the UK at all anymore. No, no, no. In the same way as they used to be five years ago. The fact is that you could come to the UK, you could live here, you could, you know, have a family, which is what my parents did how many years ago. The idea was, oh, well, you know, the whole of Europe is open to us because we're part of the EU, we're part of this entire network that we can just on a holiday and kind of go, got a free weekend, let's go to Amsterdam. Or, you know, if we want to pick up and leave from the UK because the racism's getting a bit too bad, we can go to another European country because they're so much and, better. And experience racism, experience a different type of racism. No, well, it's here's what... <laughs> <laughs> I want to kind of uh, French racism. Yeah, oh my God, please. I do love some French racism. Yeah. It's a slightly different flavor. Yeah. No, but you know, I mean, people should be aware because I'm actually meant to be going to Spain at the end of this week. Mm. Well, well, the Canary Islands, not Spain. And, and um, it, I mean, on some of the stuff you said, the current restrictions we have on travel now is more because of COVID rather than Brexit. Um, of course, you can't retire and work in the UK as normal. Sorry, in the EU as normal if you're from the UK, because of course, like it's a different country now. Spain is a, is a separate sovereign country that we're not in a political or an economic union with. So things have changed. However, you can still travel to Spain. I mean, uh, right now, because of COVID, you can only travel for essential travel, as it were. Or if you're a Spanish national, you're trying to get back to the UK. That, that's another reason as well. But you can't go for the reasons you used to go before, which is just kind of for fun, for leisure. But that will change. Um, what we're hearing is tomorrow, so the, this podcast will come out on Monday. So January the 5th is when some of the rules will change about when you can travel to Europe. Or not. That is a real difference for young people who are global citizens normally, right? I, I literally travel. To, I'm, I'm in Europe for, for the most part multiple times a year, every year. So that will be a bit different now that things, that, you know, things have changed a, a little bit. But I think it's in the best interest of the EU and the UK to have frictionless travel. Um, and, I, and I do think that will be the case for the most part because it, it, it benefits nobody to make life difficult for EU nationals to come here and, and vice versa. Living is sort of slightly different, but I think travel mm -hmm. for the most part is quite simple. I mean, even yeah. America, to travel to America, you just all you have to do is fill out an a, a, um, a ESTA visa, I believe, which pretty much the next day you get and you can travel. It's not, it's frictionless for the most part. It's not this newly difficult thing. No, what I want to do as well is, so we, we, we filled our Brexit quota because I know Brexit is super interesting, but for, for, for the listeners and the viewers, I reckon we put Brexit aside and talk about some of the exciting things happening this year. So what's happening this year, Ashton, that you're kind of excited about that you think is going to be interesting, that isn't going to be the UK. Remainers do this. The UK is just destined to fail. We're going to jump off a cliff and we'll never be worth anything ever again. Not saying you're saying this, but I, if I go on Twitter and type in Brexit, all I see is, oh, we've shot ourselves in the foot. We're going to slowly bleed and die. I'm like, well, 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 let's talk about other things that's happening that you're excited about. Well, I mean, if, if we, it's really hard because there's so many different, kind of variants of what's happening. So we've got like, not just COVID, but we've got also Brexit on top of that. And then like, whether this means that we'll, we'll change the way that we're, we're moving. 
um, in the future and, and, and change the way that we travel. So, you know, Walt Disney's 50th anniversary is, is this year. And I think, you know, it'd been great to, to take kids there, um, but also will we be able to travel? Who knows? Um, I love the fact, got- the fact that Walt Disney up because that, so of all the exciting things happening this year, is <laughs> Walt Disney's birthday the one you thought, ah, do you know what? It would, I just I just figured there'd be a lot of discounts and I'd be able to take my kids, my kids, <laughs> my hypothetical kids, you know, to to do arguing for kids you don't have. Is that is that what you're now doing? <laughs> I just it's manifest, right? This thing that you manifest and then it comes, something like yeah. that. I don't know. Sorry on TikTok. And um, I think I generally the most exciting thing for me is, is Joe Biden's um inauguration. Um I've been waiting on going to the US because um of Donald Trump and I yeah I, I wanted to go I wanted to go like you know five years ago six years ago and then kind of like delayed and delayed and then when I decided that I would go and do my PhD there Donald Trump came into power and I was like oh great that's amazing because now I can't do anything um and we'd also decided in the same year that we'd you know do Brexit so suddenly my um my desire to go to the US and to like work or to do my PhD or to live there or whatever was was completely squashed so Joe Biden coming in I mean he's not I don't, I don't like him. No, let me rephrase that. Him and Kamala Harris are way better than Donald Trump, but they still have lots of issues. Um, and, and that's okay. Um, but it does mean that, you know, as a brown, you know, um, person who c- comes across as Muslim often, it's really um, hard for me to travel to places like the US, particularly after I've written a lot of um, quite anti um or if I've written, you know, comedic plays about terrorism, for example, it doesn't really put me in a good light to be able to travel to the US or hasn't done in the past. So I think I'm hoping that, you know, with Biden coming in and it being not as anti-Muslim or anti-Brown, uh, that we'll be able to, I'll be able to travel and, and that fear will go. It's odd. I was actually talking to a friend about this, about the kind of, you know, we all know that Joe Biden is going to lower the political temperature. That's one big thing that's going to happen. But, but I guess what's, what we haven't quite decided is how low that temperature will get. <laughs> will, it get so, will it get so low that people just don't care about politics anymore? They're just not interested. People are going to switch off, as it were. Because one thing Trump's been good for is like the news business, right? So I guess that's one of the fears is, is it going to get to a level now? where people So you're basically saying that Joe Biden's going to come in and news networks won't have anything to do because... There's not going to be like a silly thing to report anymore. You mean you can actually report on politics? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a bit of a, it's a kind of chicken and egg thing, isn't it? Because it, it, in an odd way, I, no, I'm interested in current affairs, right? So I'm, I'm going to always, I'm always going to watch news. I'm always going to read stuff. But we can't lie that Donald Trump wasn't entertaining and fun, and and sometimes it was a welcome distraction from what was happening uh, with, with COVID. Of course, we know that his position. Uh, it's dangerous because he actually has power, and and for that and for that reason, I mean, right now they're they're, they're stopping a, a, a two thousand stimulus, two thousand dollar stimulus bill from going through through that through the Senate, which means ordinary people don't get that relief they need right now. So so you know, I'm, I'm not making light of it, but it is interesting. One one, uh, one thing I've seen on Twitter actually trending, I think a few days ago was was um, people tweeting President uh, Harris or or uh, there's a show called. Um, called uh i think it's called goodbye or goodbye 2020 something like that or not yeah, that, that's the one on on on, uh, on spotify sorry 
on Netflix. Wow. What's interesting, what's interesting is there's a little scene where they talk about people waking up in a kind of dystopian future, if you, if you like, and they were talking about President Harris, President Harris. And I just thought to myself, it is true that, yes, Trump's inauguration, I'm looking for, sorry, Trump's inauguration. He would love that. Uh, uh, Biden's inauguration, I'm looking forward to, right? But I'm also really scared because Biden literally looks like he's two sneezes away from calling it a day, right? <laughs> my fear is that it is that he, you know, gets it. And so, some of my friends said, "Oh, the next four years of Biden." And I thought, "Oh, well, I'm not sure if we get four years. If I'm honest with you, you know, because <laughs> who knows? Do you think it's going to last four years?" I I don't think he will. Um, and I'm trying not to think about it because um, Kamala Harris is 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 quite scary to think about as as president, given that she's the kind of liberal that does more damage than good sometimes. Because um, at least with with Trump, we know we know the crap that he brings to the table, and we can kind of manage around it. Whereas with Kamala Harris, she, you know, she kind of she was a cop. She has this very, and I, you know, as you know, I'm quite anti police. But, you know, she has this this kind of. What do, you, what do you mean? She was an attorney general. Yeah, so she essentially is pro cop. She's pro police in that way, and her agenda, her pro police agenda for me is. Um, not, this is what I mean by I don't really. I'm not a massive fan of of Biden and Harris, um, as a, uh, yeah, I, they're better than Trump, but I don't. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Just to push push back as this. So she's pro police. What what does that mean? Like she's pro law and order? Is, I mean, what do you mean? <laughs> Mike, we, we're not going to get into an abolitionist argument today because we do this every time we have a conversation. But I do feel like. No, no I'm only asking. Bear in mind, I'm. I'm asking this not just for myself, but also for people who are listening who might hear Coppola or whatever you said, and they're like, "What does that mean?" Um, so so there's, really, there's actually a really good article that I wrote for TCS about this. Um, so you can have a look. I think I published it right after the. Sorry, sorry. Her being a pro cop. Her being pro police. Yeah, her being pro. The issues with Biden and Harris together, and there were a lot of policies that came into being when Biden came in. Um, when sorry, when Biden was with Obama, that were kind of like swept under the carpet. That I think we. Um, we maybe need to address better and and maybe you're right in that you know because it's not um because it, with trump we're all um watching the news a bit more we're kind of reading it a bit more because we're excited to see what's going what he's going to do next so maybe we're paying more attention to all the stuff that he's done whereas with obama perhaps we didn't do the same and perhaps same with biden and, and kamala harris we won't do the same but i feel like kamala is the i'm very anti-police I, I don't agree in the police as an institution. Um, I take an abolitionist standpoint rather than reformist. So I think that the police should not exist full stop anymore. Not right now. I think it's not going to be a, a day process. It's going to be a long process. And that's OK. Um, and we start by defunding them. But I do not believe in the reform of police, which is um, in order to stop uh, racist police, for example, you give them unconscious bias training or anti-racism training, because I believe the police as an institution is, is inherently... Um, at its core racist and that's due to the policies that have existed in the past due to the fact that um, anti-discrimination laws were, were not um, something the police were um, counted within. So I think that that Kamala Harris is somebody that comes across as quite liberal, as quite left, but actually she, her, and I don't, and I can't speak for other policies because I haven't done that reading, um, but I know from where she stands on on policing, and given the recent you know the, the recent year we've had with America, with with the U.S. and George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement, I think it's a really important point for us to take notice of the the, the, the way that where people stand on policing. I think is a really important stance to 
to to read upon. That's really interesting, because because so because it's it's always struck me as quite interesting because obviously no one's ever won policy. I, I don't you know or won it, it, with the Kamala Harris one. It's quite I find it odd because I'm what I'm trying to ascertain is are is when people have a problem with her right. Is it because she was the attorney general? And you know, is that the issue? When people say she's pro-police, do they mean she because what policy or what what about her is like I'm I support the police? I don't know. And, and then when people will say that um you know, I'm asking all this because I'm saying, is the issue that she's not an abolitionist? And in that way, are you saying you only support politicians that are abolitionists? If that's the case, you literally have like five politicians to support. <laughs> yeah, and that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying that I, I don't, I don't, I don't, they're not my, that's what I'm saying by like, they're better than Trump, but they also have issues. So I don't support them massively, but I support them better than I support Trump. And if I was an American citizen and were able to vote, I would have voted for, for Harris and Biden because actually I need, do you know what I mean? Like it's the same with the abolitionists for me. We're not going to get rid of the police straight away tomorrow. It's a process. And I think in order for us to get from here to abolition, like we need, we need Harris and Biden first. And then we need someone more left than them. And then we need more, some more left than them and some more left than them until we can get to a place where we can say the word. You think America, uh, just generally speaking, do you think America wants that? Because most Americans are, are, are banging the center. I feel... You, you just narrated an extreme left view of America. And I just wonder, not, I'm not saying whether you want to or not is bad, but I just wonder if you think America wants what, what you're saying. This is, this is what I always want to ask this to like abolitionists on CNN. When I see people on CNN, I just want to pause. Like, oh, hold on, hold on. Do you think Americans want what you're suggesting? I think, I don't think a lot of white Americans want that. But I think given the last year that we've had, the fact that, um, oh my God, what's the state? Minneapolis? Minnesota, Minneapolis. It's Minneapolis, right? Where, where, yeah, George, yeah, where George Floyd, yeah, Minneapolis. So the, the fact that that state has already begun that process of defunding the police, you know, off the back of the Black Lives Matter movement is just, and, and that's not all of America. And maybe it's a particular um, faction of the state that has pushed for that, but actually there is appetite for it. We're seeing the word abolition thrown about more in this past year than I have done since reading, you know, bell hooks and, and, and other black theorists way back when. So I'm really excited by all the theory that's coming out and all the conversation around the difference between defunding abolitionist and reformist theories. Um, and I'm hoping that that education will, will help us all to understand, okay, you know, in America, the police have a very specific and very interesting, quite interesting backstory in that they actually were there to protect slaves. In the UK, it's a very slightly different process, but we did borrow a lot of the policies from the US when we when we became here. So I feel like there's, once we, we learn about that history, once we learn about the processes in which they exist, the processes in which we can get rid of them, I, I think we'll be able to move towards a, I don't want to say more left, but I want to say an anti-police. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> I don't know. I feel, I, I'm, I'm, I'm radically left in the fact that I don't, I don't think that I'm left. I just think I'm normal. Like, I just, I'm just like, why do you not? I don't understand why you support the police. Like, that's just you're either abolitionist or you're a policeman, and that's it. There is no other in my mind. But you know, coming back to Kamala Harris, like she called herself a cop. She calls herself a cop. She calls herself as like you know, serving for the state, serving for. Um, as, as Attorney General, General is her being like a top cop. So she likes that idea of being a policeman. She likes the idea. And that's kind of, 
I don't like, it feels a bit like, mm, yeah, not not a massive fan of that. Because I feel like I, there's a lot of liberals that I'm... See that? Sorry, no, sorry, you're finishing. No, sorry, I want you to finish, sorry. So I'm just, there's a lot of liberals that take on a position where they feel quite um, left and you feel like, okay, you can have a conversation with them, but actually their background is they're really pro-police and they are, you know, really into the institutions and they're really pro... It's, it's odd to me, what's odd to me is the, juxta is the, is the semen juxtaposition you're making between being left wing and and like being pro police as, as you as, as you've dubbed it i'm not sure they're quite mm. anti, as antithetical as you think they are so you you've said that people think they're left but they're actually pro police i'm like yeah but that that's not the continuum it's not to be left wing doesn't but, mean to not believe in the police or, or no, to not believe in law and order i don't think it's law and but order I, that i have an issue with as such it's the police as an institution that i have an issue with more so i think law and order is 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 like a consequence, right? So you have like police as an institution that existed and then you had like the law and all everything else that was built around it and built to protect it and to, so they all serve each other. So in order for us to take the police down, you have to take a lot of it down and actually rethink it. And I don't mean get rid of it and have nothing, hold on. I don't mean get rid of it and have nothing. I mean, get rid of it and actually really think about what is it that we need? What is it that is actually serving the people of the US or the people of the UK right this very moment? Because actually the people that the police used to serve in the UK back in what, the 1800s, is different from the people that exist right now, you know, in that we're not all white. Um, and, and the fact that, you know, you couldn't you couldn't bring a discrimination lawsuit against the police until the early 2000s because they just weren't included in the anti-race, racial discrimination laws, even though it was repealed through time and redone. That just goes to show that there was, there was no consideration for non-white people being British citizens. Um, and that, for me, is a really interesting, um, interesting story. I think we, we, should all, we all need to know, really. We all need to pay attention to. We, I definitely think we need to give, and we will do it on this platform, like give like voice to the abolitionist movement, but also folks who don't believe in abolition, so we can have a, a conversation about both, right? I do think, I think that's, I think that's important because. What I don't subscribe to and where I kind of pack up my bag because I'm open, I love ideas. I love hearing people kind of say, you know, we should have this reform society this way. Love it. But where mm -hmm. I pack up my bag and go, I'm, I'm, in, I'm okay, is when folks attach a kind of moral virtue to their belief and like their kind of, you know, so, so I know people who are like, um, how could you not be abolitionist? If you're not abolitionist, then you believe in the structural oppression of, and you're like, hold on now. <laughs> I don't see what the problem is. I don't see why that's an issue. I can I can say why I would say why I think it's an issue. It's one thing to say that the police, like every other institution, is not perfect. That, that, that there's nothing wrong with saying that, right? And I think most people would, would probably admit that this institution isn't perfect. And then what happens in the marketplace of ideas is we go back and forth on how we have a more equitable, perfect, whatever you want to call it, right? So some people think. We need to have more black police officers, right? Some people think we need to have police police tax exchange, and some people think we need more community policing to augment the. I mean, there's all these different ideas, but to go doesn't matter. This is the only way we're gonna do it. This is the only way to do it, which is fine. But then to go and everyone who doesn't believe that is a bad person. That's where I go. Well, I no, <laughs> quite frankly, I, don't think it's, I wouldn't no. ascribe. I wouldn't ascribe a. I wouldn't call somebody bad. I I just told them they were wrong, right? And you say when you say it's perfect and imperfect, okay. it's an example of a cake, right? An imperfect cake is I made a cake and the top of it burnt, so I sliced it up and I put icing on it, and I put made put sprinkles on it to hide the burnt stuff, and that's what reformist does, right? It makes it look pretty. It's a good cake, but really it has that burnt undertone to it, and you know that you know it wasn't done well. 
the police at the moment for me is like where you have a cake and you use out of date eggs which are rotten you use the flour that really you know is clumped together and a bit mm, nasty um you use i don't know not sugar you put like uh syrup in because you can't find sugar that kind of cake and you build it up it doesn't rise it's really flat and you kind of go oh let's just stick some sprinkles on it and there you go that's a cake that for me is in order for us to to, to reform the police we need to take it down we need to really go into the ingredients and we need to switch out the ingredients and for me the ingredients are the, the police is an institution and and i think we, we need and i understand that law and order is really important. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I get your point i just find it i, just, I find the cake because the issue is when people use examples like cake when they're explaining something right me with my two-year-old mind i'm just thinking of all the comebacks like i'm like well what, what kind of flour did they use maybe the, well if you did if you added some yeast then it would rise yeah but i get your point overall you're saying that institutionally the cake is too far gone yeah. it can't be saved and therefore you, you, you need a new cake that's that's okay right i would I, I would say you're wrong in that assessment but but obviously you know this is a special episode um and, and like i said i think we ought to dedicate proper time to like the, the abolitionist uh, arguments and movements uh, i would be really interested to, interested to hear more about it but but speaking of old white people um, like Joe Biden, the the Queen, the Queen actually turns ninety five this year. Yeah, in April, in April the eleventh, I believe it's April April the twenty first. Um, she's going to be turning ninety five. Um, she's already the, the longest reigning monarch in, in British history. What are your thoughts on the Queen's birthday this year? Are you excited for that? Are you? I mean, if you're an abolitionist, I I, I imagine that's another institution you want to abolish. I think the Queen's doing really well for her age right now. She's. Hold on, don't tell me. Are you, are you a royalist? No, I'm not a royalist like that. No. That would be really odd if you're like, destroy the police. But the royal family. I like they're the people. At the end of the day, they're people, right? Um, so they're, they're people. Like, there's nothing more to it. I don't know what the conversation is about. I think for me, the institution is not just one thing, it's about the whole thing together. So. That's so interesting because take, take the royal family that institutionally was problematic in the past. Mm -hmm. um, there, 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 there's been so much that's changed over time with that institution being uh, reformed, as it were. So we saw the Commonwealth Games and the fact that now you see people who are, uh, you know, they play tennis, they play football, and they're celebrating, if you like, being part of the Commonwealth, right? You see all the work they do around the, around the world. Some people will say that's an institution that's kind of been reformed over the years and it's matured. And I think watching The Crown, I never thought I'd be quoting The Crown, but I do yeah. remember someone saying that one of the major ways that the, the royal family has been successful is by continually reforming so, so as to speak to the issues of the time and stuff like that. But, you know, that, that's an institution that perhaps went, went through a successful rebrand. One thing I know people are missing is obviously events. I know people are missing events big time. Now, to this year, we're meant to have the Tokyo Olympics and we're meant to have what I know a lot of people in the UK care about, I've never really understood it myself, is the Eurovision Song Contest, right? Are you excited for those two, these two things coming back? Um, I'm not a massive fan of Eurovision. I don't really watch it. And then when... What? Neither do I, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then when it comes to the Olympics, like, I don't know. It will be on in the background when I'm working, but I don't necessarily like, you know... Well, shouldn't we abolish it? Because... Because it's it's a flawed system, isn't it? Expand on that further. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm joking. Uh, it, it, I'm, <laughs> no, 
Well, I see. I see what you're saying. Like, I don't think anything old is. No, no, no. Um, I'm. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> but feel free to make your point, anyways. I just. I don't think anything old is wrong. I don't think that that's not my standpoint. My standpoint is that when you have something that is a combination of being old and being um, doesn't work. And the people that it serves is no longer the people that are there right now. Take ballet, for example, right? Ballet as an institution, as a, as a dance, is um, the shoes, for example, were designed and invented in the 1800s. And since then, there's been no progression in it. And that's because like people that are purists in terms of like ballet and dance will be like, no, the shoe needs to be exactly how it needs to be from the 1800s in order for it to be proper ballet. Otherwise, it doesn't work. You can't do ballet in trainers. What is that? You can't wear ballet in, in trackies. You need to wear um, a leotard and leggings. And what that meant is that you, you then had black women, for example, that couldn't find shoes to match their skin tone. So they literally had to paint them by hand or put foundation in them or dye them or wear pink shoes or white shoes that were made for white women rather than being able to wear something that match their skin tone. That for me is an institution that, that needs to be reformed, right? Because actually the, the core of it is, I understand the essence of it. The essence doesn't start from racism. It wasn't racist in its initial stand-up. It's elitist in that it's only a particular kind of person. The price marker for people that can A, study ballet, get into ballet, or even like watch ballet is way too high for the normal person. Same with opera. But I think that the institution itself isn't, isn't at its core racist. The class issue is another thing that we can talk about and we can discuss. And you have newer versions of contemporary dance that mix ballet and, and hip hop, for example, together, which is great and amazing, or ballet and Afrobeats together, which again is really cool. Because then it's like, actually you're merging into these different like fusion ways of dancing, which the purest ballet, you know, yeah. old will say this is wrong. So I think that ballet as an institution, as an industry needs to be reformed in order to adapt and allow for a more diverse um, audience, because that's who we are right now. The people that are doing ballet are young black and Asian people. The people that are watching ballet or want to watch ballet may not have the same money as the rich white old people. So, you know, you need to change those price points. You need to be able to allow for a newer audience. You know, maybe it needs to go online. Maybe it needs to be more immersive. Um, how do you make it? So and that's what I mean by adapting. So that's a really old institution. You know, the shoes were invented from 1800s and we still haven't changed them. But it's still something that can be reformed. I'm, I'm being I'm being so tempted to to get into the mud with some of these topics because, but it's meant to be a light episode. So I'm trying my hardest because it's a it's a holiday special this one, isn't it? So I'm trying my hardest to keep, to keep it light. I, I take your point. I absolutely do. Um, of course, there's so many rebuttals I, I would send your way, and perhaps again, uh, that's another conversation we ought to have about these industries and reform versus abolishing. And I think there's, there's really interesting points to be made about how we go about reforming these institutions do they need to be reformed at all of course there'll be, there'll be people who have different views to you um but no but but i take your point i, I and i i one for one can't wait for big events i know i know i was listening to james blunt the other day talking about he's he's actually so confident that we're gonna have herd, herd immunity that he's added more dates to his tour um which i think is is i think it's around uh, I think it's around June that his tour is uh, kicking off. So he's saying that mm. we'll be fine by June. Um, the Tokyo Olympics is meant to be, I believe, in April. I might be wrong about that. But um, they're saying it's going to look very different to how... Sorry, July, rather. Uh, they're saying it's going to look very different to, obviously, previous Olympic Games. But again, they're quite confident it's going to happen as well. You know, which brings me largely to what's the big hope for this year, I guess, which is that we may go back whatever whether it's going back or, or setting a new a standard to some sort of normalcy where we can have these big events where we can have movies out again i know this year tom cruise is going to space um he's working with nasa and elon musk's uh, spacex 
to yeah. go to space and, and shoot a film from there. He's got a new film, Top Gun, coming out as well. I mean, people just want to go back to being able to just go hug their friends, whatever. So, I don't know. Do you think that's going to happen this year? Do you think we're going to be able to go back to some sort of normalcy uh, before the end of the year? I'm going to use a phrase that I've hated, but it's actually perfect for the situation. It's going to be a new normal. I think uh, the way that we've done it. <laughs> That's one of the it. phrases like uh, unprecedented, right? I hate it. absolutely hate it. Somebody, I, I watched a TV show that was like from 2016, 2017, and it said something like, oh, there's lockdown. And I was like, um, or somebody said, oh, I've been, I'm being quarantined. I'm like, no, you're not. That's not, that's not quarantine, honey. That's not what it is, okay? You are not nothing yet. You are not isolated, okay? You're not isolated in your house. Um, but I think there's there's a there's things that we've learned, right? And things that we've taken from uh the current climate. You know, Zoom, for example, being able to do this and not be able to not have to travel. Um, so that's yeah. one benefit I think that we'll take forward. I I am I love music concerts, I love being able to go dancing, I love being able to see people. So I'm really missing that. And I, I love getting on a plane and I don't know, just going places. I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping that that comes back, but I also understand that, the, you know, the virus, the, the, the policies to to stop it spread, to stop people dying, needs to take its course, and and that's fine. Yeah. And if it means that I can't travel until 2022, or I can't do the things that I want to do until 2022, I'll find other ways of doing them. If I can't go to a concert, I can almost guarantee you that in another five five years time, not even five years, five months time, sorry, they'll build a, you know, there's a VR app, for example, on your phone that you can. You can watch stuff and it's almost like really immersive. There'll be a new tech. Apple will probably release a new headphone or something that will then, you know, make Apple will sort it out. Honestly, there'll be like a little booth that you can stick in your house and, you know, be able, you'll be able to feel like someone's beer being thrown on your face this side, someone's sweat on this side, someone throwing you into the mosh pit. It's going to be great. Um, 4D, 4D, 4D experience. <laughs> even like a 60, 60 experience, right? All right. Well, um, that's, 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 that's it's funny you should say that because because obviously we, we've seen the kind of advent of 5G. I, sh I should be careful because probably going to trigger all these conspiracy theory, uh, theorists, right? But um, apparently China's already working on 6G, um, which which apparently apparently there's reports that will be rolled out this year, which will allow for stuff like holograms um, and you know AR augmented re augmented reality to become you know. Uh, uh, kind of widely used so we'll, we'll be interested to see what happens there well listen this year here's a hypothetical right if for all the conspiracy theorists out there if 6g turns out to be the thing that causes coronavirus but it's also the thing that allows you to do holograms and like 6d or 5d or whatever it is and be able to like virtually feel someone as we you, find you, you do know you can't have 6d right D these dimensions like but carry carry on by whatever it is, 4D, 5D, 6D, I don't know. I'm in tier four. My brain is not working. Um, you know, would you take, would, would you be okay with 6G then? Because actually, even though it causes coronavirus, it's also solving the current coronavirus issue that we have now by being allowed, you know, by solving from being isolated. Just a hypothetical. I think it's a good question. And, and, and folks can get involved with the hashtag LTCS um, online. You can let us know, or even in the comment section, would you do that? Would you take uh, um, uh, the vaccine even? I know we've talked about that quite a bit. Um, there's, no, there's no doubt that this year we've got all sorts of interesting new stories we're going to be covering. Um, and my hope is that this, this podcast can follow you along the journey. We've got lots of interesting guests every single week. Uh, we'll be talking about the week's news, talking about interesting topics. 
Um, I want to give more space to some of the things you mentioned today, Afsha. Um, you know, stuff like the abolitionist movement and, and um, you know, even the royal family. Like, I, I want to talk about some of these really interesting, interesting things. And, and I hope that folks would subscribe. So if you're listening to this now, if you're joining us on YouTube, where we have a, 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 a visual or video version of this podcast, then do subscribe, turn your notifications, uh, follow us on Spotify, be a part of, the, of, of what's going to be a really exciting year for this podcast. Thank you if you've been listening so far. Uh, and do share this with a friend, uh, make their day and uh, share this podcast. Um, Afshan, any final words? Buy my book under the, the book event in the box. Oh, wow. Right you take no, me no, off I... as I said that. <laughs> Buy my book. It's called Ari Desire. You can find it on my website, www.afshandl.com. Um, and the links are all on my Twitter as well, which is at AfshanDL. Um, and if you're really nice to me, DM me, I might give you a discount to the book, or you might get a really nice signed copy with a beautiful wax seal um, in the letter. So, yeah, do that, man. Support your artists like you support your rappers. I didn't mean to do that. I'm still figuring out how, how to do this whole visual thing. My book, you went, no, Afshan, fine, and then close me off. It's all no, right. Just, yeah. just silence all the women everywhere. It's fine. Folks, I'm, I'm very sorry. But yeah, no, this has been great. And until next uh, week, have a really great uh, week. Take care, folks. Bye.